Hi, welcome to another episode of the Well.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington. And this week's episode, I sit down with Oliver Adamson, the founder of Citizen Build, and he talks about his journey of starting his own company out of necessity and growing it into a stable career. Oliver's background in architecture and his experience working with architects that he admired has shaped the way that he approaches his work. He dives into how he was inspired by a video about building homes for people in poverty in Alabama and how it motivated him to give back by donating parts of his shirt proceeds to food banks and charities that help people in need. We discussed the various ways to finish metal and how a CNC table can significantly help in growing your business. Looking to unleash your inner craftsman? Look no further than Outlaw Leather USA where they specialize in crafting custom-made leather welding gear that offers maximum protection from heat and sparks. With their product's superior quality, construction, and durability, you can count on them to stand up to any job. And with their outstanding customer service and dedication to providing you with the best possible experience, you can trust that you're investing in the quality you deserve. As a special bonus for listening to the podcast, you can get 10% off your order by using the special promo code WELD10 at checkout. Invest in quality with Outlaw Leather USA today. Are you tired of carrying multiple pieces of equipment on your service truck? Lincoln Electric has introduced the solution, the Ranger Air 260 MPX. This multifunction engine drive combines an air compressor, generator, battery charger, battery jump starter, and multi-process welder in one compact device, specifically designed for the unpredictable circumstances and job demands of the work truck industry. But that's not all. The Ranger Air 260 MPX is also designed to provide a lower cost of ownership with features such as auto stop-start technology and an electronic throttle body engine with variable engine speed. Don't miss out on this versatile and reliable machine that can handle any demanding job site. Visit www.lincolnelectric.com for more information on the Ranger Air 260 MPX available later this year and save space on your truck for other tools and gear with this compact power horse. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience and tell them who you are and what you do just in case they don't know about your company and you? Yeah, my name is Oliver Adamson, and I own run a company called Citizen Build. We're a metal fabrication company doing architectural welding. And you just relocated recently though, right? Yes, we were in San Antonio and we recently just moved to a little town just north of Tucson, Arizona. What inspired the move for you? So my wife's family is all, not all here, but a good amount are here in Arizona. So just to be a little closer. That's life. Yeah. And then her rest of her family are in Southern California. So it's a good, it's a good place to be to visit both ends of her side of the family. So that drive out to California from Arizona is, it's just beautiful going through the desert and RV cut up through Utah. I love the, like just the red rocks you see all, all across the way. Yeah. It's nice being uh, in a, small uh, proximity to other places. Because when we're in Texas and San Antonio, you've got to drive like 10 hours to sleep in the state. 
Yeah, Texas is an enigma, man. It's just so big. And you don't realize how spread out everything is until you like go visit and you're like, oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Dallas and then I'm going to go to Houston. And then it's like, I'm going to be in the car for a while. Yep. Yeah. So it uh, just to go west from San Antonio, it takes in a moving truck, it takes 12 hours just to get out of Texas. And then to Tucson, it was like a 16, 17 hour drive in a moving truck. We were only only going like 60 in that thing. Oh, yeah. So here's one thing that I wanted to know about your company. First off, did you start the company or was this something you started with other people? No, I started it about five years ago. And I started it pretty much out of necessity to work. I actually left a job. And so I was unemployed for a few months and I was looking for other work, other employment jobs. And funnily enough, I got a job offer in Tucson, Arizona. So kind of full circle. So yeah, five years ago, I got this job offer in Tucson, but I couldn't start for two months. So I had to kind of buy myself some time. So I ended up just reaching out to various friends who were architects and seeing if they needed any small metal working jobs. And it, and one of them did. And I ended up working on his house for two months when the two months was up to go to the job in Arizona, he was like, hey, do you want to stay? And we got to build this pool house area. Do you want to stay and do that? And it was just too good of an offer. So I ended up not doing that job and sticking in San Antonio. And that's how Citizen Build started because then I got an LLC to start that. And then, but yeah, I started it with a couple hundred bucks in my back pocket in the carport. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's the way a company should start, man. Yeah. So it's, and I've always kept it super small. I grew after a couple of years of being on my own with just a couple of guys here and there, I started to get some more employees and then dialed it back a little bit after COVID hit for about a year and then kept this deal where I'm, it's just really me. And then I have a couple guys on on call and that way I can really dial in the scheduling of everything and time management and also keeping a really good quality of work because everything will just run through myself and I can you yeah, know. have your hands on every piece connect yes exactly and that's the way it started and that's the way I enjoyed it most because I was doing a lot of a lot of the hands-on work and then you know when you get employees you start becoming more of a manager mm-hmm. and that, that's really not my kind of style. I'm more hands-on, like prefer most enjoyable to be doing the work as opposed to telling someone to do the work. Yeah, the day, days go by a lot faster when you're doing the hands-on work. That's what I've yes. found. Instead of just being like, can you go do this for me? I want to be down in there and do it too, man. As far as your background of welding and fabricating everything, did you go to school? Was this something you grew up doing? Like, how did you get into welding and fabricating? So my dad introduced it to me when I was a teenager, you know, because he'd be working on cars and stuff like that. And uh, he'd be welding panels up and stuff like that. So he introduced me to welding. I actually went to college for architecture. So when I was in college, I took a couple welding classes. And then pretty much just as soon as got done with college, I worked in architecture for a year and then just went back to welding and worked under a lot of really great companies for about five years and then started my own thing. So when you started your company, did you have an idea outside of doing the kind of necessity jobs of the architectural stuff? Did you have a vision for what kind of work you wanted to do? Or was it more like just you did whatever you 
could. It's like, how did just kind of dial in this direction of what you have right now? Because your work is awesome. Like you, you have a very specific style and I always love to see specific styles when people are like fabricating or even just welding, but like your fabrication style is very clean and very modern. How did you develop your style and find your artistic voice? Having gone to school for architecture, I was super passionate about that before I started the company. And then with welding, being passionate about that, I kind of merged the two. So when I started the business, I already had a bunch of connections at a really great architecture firm in San Antonio. So I just reached out to all the architects that I admired and wanted to do work for. And that's usually, yeah, like the more modern style. So I can't really uh, say exactly, but the architects are the ones designing everything. Uh, So by the time it gets to me, it's pretty much designed and I give my feedback as far as like functionality goes. And uh, we either need to value engineer stuff. But as far as the design, that's mainly on the architects. Definitely steer the ship toward (laughs) those architects that I want to do work for. And we're fortunate enough to do that just because I've kept it so small. And when I had employees, I had three at one point, we were taking on work just to keep those mouths fed. And that wasn't really... I started to get like less passionate about it because we were doing work that wasn't truly why I started the company. So I dialed it back about three, four years ago and got back in this lane that I have wanted to be in. And so right now we're still at the point now where we're lucky enough to pick and choose the architects we work with because we're so small. If we had like a 20 man career, we wouldn't be that fortunate. But just because it's me and a couple guys, it's not. We're not looking for work two, three projects a week. We're looking for like one project a week. Yeah. That's nice that you can just put your full attention on the things that you want to do. That's, it's hard to find. It's hard to find that. Yeah. I'm definitely someone who has to do that in order to stay interested. Yeah. Because I don't know if I've got too much ADD or what, but I got to be working on something that I'm truly passionate about to give it my 100% all in. And yeah, for the past, Five years we've been in business. I've been lucky enough to be able to do that. So the name Citizen Build, where did that come from? So Citizen Build came from, there's an architecture studio in Alabama called Rural Studio. And they put out a video called Citizen Architect. And uh, it was all about building homes for all these people in poverty in Alabama. And they built homes for like 20 grand out of like recycled materials. And they were really cool homes because they'd, ha- they'd have all the architecture students design and build the homes. And that was like a video that I always watched. I always thought it was super cool. So that's where the name came from, just because I was so inspired as a young adult by that movie. And then at the same time, we always try and do giveaways, not giveaways, but whenever we do like a t-shirt, we always do like a charity thing where do like a fundraiser for like, hey, every five or $10 from the shirt goes toward the local like food bank or something. That's awesome. That's an interesting story. I got to find that video and watch it now. Oh, it's cool. Yeah. It's pretty old. It's I think it's 15 years old now, but it's a good one for sure. But that's where the name came from. That's cool. I don't know. I, don't, I didn't really think much about it. I was just like, oh, citizen architect, citizen build would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> and just learning more about your architectural background, it's really giving me more of a insight into the whole design of like your website, your Instagram page. Like it is very, it's cinematic is a word I would say. It 
tells like a very, I know exactly the type of aesthetic I'm going to get if I get something from you. If I wanted to work with you, I know that I'm going to get something that is clean, modern. I'm really into your Instagram is all I'm trying to say. Like with the way you have it all framed and everything. Like it's cool. Yeah, I try try and everything I put out, I try and even to the photography of it, I try and have a thought about it before I put something out. And I, the branding part of it too is actually one of the funnest parts that I never thought would be starting the company, but doing different t-shirts designs with designers is pretty, a pretty awesome pr- process. Branding in general, not a lot of people understand what branding is. It's just, oh, I'm going to make a logo and pick out some cool colors, but there's a whole science that goes into branding. And with the way you have branded yourself, so say there's people out there trying to start a company of their own, what advice would you give them about finding their voice and being true to their own aesthetic? I would search for a really good graphic designer to work with. So I I don't do any of the branding myself. I use graphic designers and I've used a couple of guys. In San Antonio, I used a company called Do South. They were really good friends of mine. I did our branding for about five years while we were there and then I moved over here to Tucson. We started using a guy called Daniel Sheridan and he's really good too. And we worked with him and getting all the new branding for Arizona going and it turned out awesome. But I would, yeah, I would just suggest that first 10% that you make, just put it in a stash pot for six months until you can afford to spend some money on advertising and branding. And cause it, it's really fun and it helps establish a brand. And it's very important. People... When you think of a company, you know, it's like a lot of people think of companies just as, oh, I'm going to go buy something. But really, it's like an entity. Like I've heard a lot of people call your LLC is an entity and it's like a living, breathing thing. If And that's what you want it to be. You want to treat it as, oh, I relate to this brand, which is I relate to this person. That's why like when looking through all of your stuff, I relate to it because I it really speaks to my aesthetic as well. I was like, oh man, I relate to this guy. I don't know. We've never even talked before. Yeah. And it's really cool just to have everything be so thought out from like the branding to even my shop. I usually keep it like super clean. And when you have a clean shop and you, everything else is thought out and clean, your work is going to be clean. And I don't know, it's it, branding is often overlooked, but should not be. It's, it's for sure like a staple for a business and it's fun. It's cool seeing people buy your shirts and want to kind of represent what you got going on. It's super, super cool. Speaking of what you got going on, let's talk about your work. One of the things that I really, really like about what you do is you do a lot of mixed media, like incorporating wood with the steel. Cause a lot of people, it's just it's not metal. I'm not touching it, but mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of like your projects, they incorporate the wood aspect to it. And that's really popular right now. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Are you the one doing the woodworking too, or is it you're working in collaboration with people? Yeah, it just depends for the most part, like 95% of the time we're just doing steel work, but within that, you know, we work with stainless and brass and aluminum and we try and stay away from galvanized because I don't want to rate that in or we'll get it hopped up after. But with wood, yeah, we'll usually do little accents of wood. Like if someone wants like a wood cap on a handrail, mm-hmm. we'll do that for sure. We've even done like a live edge slab. So we'll do that too. But if it's like a substantial amount, like a cabinet set or anything like that, 
then we're not the guys for that kind of stuff. For any kind of accents that complement the steel, like wood slats in a door frame or something, then we'll do that for sure. And it's fun, you know, it's fun switching the two materials up. Because with metalwork in the summer, you're in sleeve and it's hot and oily and it's, you got a respirator on and then you switch and then you're like, all right, well, today I got to do woodwork. I can wear shorts. Yeah, I can be comfortable today while at work. Whoa. Exactly. So sometimes it's nice to switch up the media that we're working in. But like I said, usually it's like 90, 95% steel work for sure. And then I see you do a lot of plasma cutting, like on your website specifically, you have you plasma cutting with a handheld torch, but do you have a CNC table as well? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We've had it for a couple of years and it's a five by 10 table on a water table. That really grew the business in a different way that I had ever imagined because with my architecture background, I basically learned CAD for four years doing that, which is basically 80% of the skill needed for running a plasma table. So in, in San Antonio, we really picked up the pace with that table. And then uh, it's actually still sitting in my shop in San Antonio. I got to move it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I just moved here in January, December, but the shop in January. I'm just trying to wait for a little bit, get a little bit more cash flow and then head back over. And I'm paying rent out there until like in anyway. So I may as well have it as a storage. Yeah. Plasma tables, I've heard it'll change your business. You know, it's like, cause cutting everything by hand, you can get pretty good at it, but having the capability of doing just super precise work, it's just night and day. Like I'm jealous. I'm very jealous. It's precise and efficient. That's really the main reason I initially bought the plasma is because we were doing so many fireplace wraps and like planters and everything that needed parts. And I was subbing those cuts out to another guy in town that had a plasma table. And I was just sitting there one day and I was like, man, it'd be cool if one day I could just own a plasma and then not have to sub all the stuff out. I could just do it all in, in house. So that's why we bought one initially just to do everything for us. And then, you know, word got out that I had one and I started getting other metal fabricators in town asking who were technically our competitor or now our almost like business partner, you know, we're doing business together now. So it was super cool to dive into other shops and cut stuff for them that when they needed. And we ended up getting contracts with like Toyota out there, just cutting like little parts out. So it really picked up. So it was really, it was a really cool little side of the business. And I really liked it because I got to use a lot of CAD doing that and uh, learn a new skill. It's operating that plasma cutter. It's, it's like, oh, you, all you got to do is press the button and go. And that's what it looks like. But there's so much more like making sure you're calibrated properly and making sure the filters don't have moisture in them and all your tips are good. You know, there's so much that you've got to like hover around that thing while it's running. Yeah, you got to make sure your air pressure is constantly good, you know, otherwise sometimes you'll be doing a whole cut of a sheet. And if one pierce cut is off, that messes up the entire sheet. So it can be pretty challenging. But it, but it, in that challenge, it was cool because it was, you know, I was learning a new skill, which was always super fun, you know. That's a dream of mine to have a plasma table one day, or at least just access to one when I can just make whatever I want. But as far as the finishing on your work too, that's another thing. Like I like messing around with different acids and etches on the finish of a product. And I've seen a lot of your work has a really cool kind of patina 
or sometimes you just do like a flat paint and all that kind of stuff. But like your patinas, I'm really into. Can you tell us a little bit about that and like how you achieve that type of look on your work? Yeah. I first got introduced with blackening patina about 10 years ago when I was working in a shop in Austin. And um, there's so many variables to it, but it's really cool. It's a lot of people do it and it's a really good way to finish metal without having to paint it and still getting that like clean black look. And there's so many different techniques to doing it that you can really like play around with the finishes. And so it's, so I usually for fireplace wraps, for instance, a lot of people want like a blackened fireplace wrap, but with blackening, there's 10 different avenues that you can go down with finishing to different sealers you can put on there. So I ended up making like 10 samples out of sheet metal in the shop. So that way when a client comes over and they say, hey, I want like a blackened fireplace, I can show them be like, all right, yeah. which do you want? Because they all look a little different. If you're using hot rolled material as opposed to cold red, but you're going to get a different blackened look. Or if you're using an oil to seal it as opposed to a two-part clear coat, you're going to get a different look and then also like a different durability like with clear coat but you wouldn't want to do that on the shelf because it would eventually scratch whereas if you're doing a black and oil shelf you'd want to use the oil because the oil will never scratch or and you can always touch it up with oil when you do fireplace wraps and stuff like that how do you paint them or blacken them and still be able to have the heat i've painted one before and it went away real fast you know <laughs> Oh, yeah. Are you talking about the fire pits or the fireplace wraps? Oh, like a fire pit. Like I've seen a lot of uh, yours have that finish on them, but how do you keep a finish on something that's going to have heat in it? So with the fire pits, we don't put any finish on for that reason. We just always sell them wrap to rust. People are just going to, they're just going to sit outside. But the fireplace wraps are those interior where we basically just wrap the carcass of the entire fireplace wall. And those don't get hot. At, the metal part doesn't get hot at all because the they're different fireplaces have different code restrictions, but most are between one and three feet of the fireplace. And that's all encased in its own thing. And we're just essentially rocking the wall that surrounds it. Um, but even then, just in case we're, I'm always so like conscious about liability and I want people to have this stuff forever. So I, even though we probably don't even need to, I use... To move those panels on the wall, I use 400 degree heat proof. That's so awesome. it, yeah, it'll never get that hot. It's just one of those things that like, oh, we should just do it anyway, just in yeah. case. We'd rather be safe than sorry. Exactly. Yeah. But the fire pits where the fire is actually in that pit. Yeah. No finish on that. Not even paint. Cause yeah, it'll just. Yeah. It just goes right up. Yeah. There's no point at all. Unless you like got like a stainless pit, I guess you can blacken it and it would stay pretty. And a lot of people do, you could do like a black and stainless pit with like gas fire strip in it. And mm -hmm. that would be fine. But yeah, but like the raw fight, like camping fire pits that we do. Yeah, we're no finish on those at all. I like the, I saw one where it was a box and it looked like it had an expanded metal on the top and then all around the sides there, you'd make like a stainless hoop around it. Oh yeah. Those were for a company in San Antonio. They had designed them and then we just made them. But that was actually the reason why we got a plasma cutter for the most part, because we were building so many of those, but we we're subbing all that out. And that's what got the thought process going. 
I love a fire pit, man. I build a lot of fire pits. <laughs> yeah. Super easy to build when you have a plasma cutter, for yeah. sure. Yeah, definitely of, would be. <laughs> yeah, you just put the sheet on and you're, I already have the file created and it's a pretty short time to cut, so it doesn't take too long at all. So you relocated to Arizona. How have you been picking up work out there? Did you already have clients out there, like a client base, or like how are you building your business back up after relocating? That's a good question. I'd be coming out here with my wife for the past like three, four years, and we've always in the back of our mind thought we might move to Arizona one day because we always just love coming out here. And uh, just in that like thought process, I just naturally found other construction companies or contractors or architects in the Phoenix and Tucson area. And I already knew of a lot of people here in Arizona. So actually before I left San Antonio, I actually made a business plan for the first time. Yeah. So I, I didn't make, I didn't make a business plan when I started Citizen Build, but when we relocated, I did like a 20 page business plan. I listed like a bunch of architects and contractors that I knew about in this area. And then um, I got together with the guy called Daniel Sheridan, the graphic designer, and he did our shirts and all our branding. And I made a citizen build like lookbook. And I spent like a week and a half when we first moved out here. And I was driving up to Phoenix every day and down into Tucson every day and just meeting with different architects and handing out my t-shirts and hats and my portfolio. And then lucky enough, it's we're rolling out here. That's awesome. Go out and get your name out there, handing out the swag, making people remember you. Yeah, exactly. And and just meeting people face to face as well is always super good. And we made a lot of really good contacts here. And we're actually located about an hour north of Tucson and then about an hour and a half south of Phoenix. So we're, we can cast our net in both cities, which is super cool. And then is your shop, are you renting a place out there for a shop or did you like find a house that had a shop attached to it? I have a yeah. couple of friends that have like awesome shops that just happened to be part of their house when they bought it. Yeah, no, we, um, me and my wife, we lived in downtown San Antonio. We always wanted to live out in the country and live on some acreage and just have a shop on the property, like you're saying. And, uh, yeah, we ended up selling our house in San Antonio and then we found a house with a shop on it on by Bakers and man, it's you're living my dream, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's been a dream for past like three years, just not having to like pay that rent check to anyone, you know, like a landlord and just being able to have your own space. And you know, it, my shop in San Antonio, it was great, but it was like right on a, in the city on a street. So if I ever wanted to like go get lunch for even like 10 minutes. I'd have to like shut the shop door and it was like a whole, and like set the alarm and like walk up and then drive somewhere. But here there's days where I have to go drive into Tucson, which is like an hour drive into the downtown area and then come back some bump four or five hours. And I leave the shop like wide open because it's, it's nice for sure. That's awesome. Just to be able to have that comfortability, not having to worry about anything getting stolen or. Obviously, if I left the shop door open in San Antonio, people would be coming in. <laughs> it's a free for all. Yeah. But here, there's no one out here. So it's, I could leave it open all night if we wanted to, but it'd just be coyotes going in there. Yeah. Just learning how to weld. Yeah. Yeah. 
So speaking of welding, what are your main processes you do? Because I saw I saw stick, big, tig, all different stuff on your Instagram. What is the majority of the work you do? Yeah, man, we we do it all. We do stick, tig, may. Every process has a, its own area of application, you know. So if we're building like a, like those fire pits, we'll make weld those because that's the best process for us to do on that project. But if we've got like any aluminum or any stainless or any railings that have like exposed fillet welds, we'll TIG weld everything. And then if we're ever in the field doing structural stuff, it will obviously stick weld everything. If we're in someone's house, I was trying to minimize the heat, the sparks. So we never MIG weld or stick weld in a house. We always TIG. And then there's grinding obviously, but we have minimized it with doing TIG. Yeah, we do it all. And then in a couple months here, I'll have the plasma table here. And yeah, it's yeah, the shop's a lot smaller, so it'll be a tight squeeze, but we'll get it in there. That's awesome. I would be just counting down the days if I was away from my plasma table. You're drinking out of a Harley Davidson cup, and I've seen multiple motorcycle pictures on your Instagram. Are you a builder as well, or is that just kind of like a dabbling? Like, do you dabble in the motorcycle fabrication? Yeah, that's more of like a dabble. I don't build for anyone just it's just more of a hobby yeah and it, it's cool because a lot of times i'm working on we work on such cool projects but then once they leave the shop and they're installed we pretty much never get to see them again or we never get to use them whereas like motorcycle stuff it's for me i can keep it i can ride it but that thing has been a work in progress for too long yeah no it looks like i used to live with a guy named his name was spencer getty but he went by spaghetti and he did a lot of like motorcycle. He painted tanks and painted motorcycles. Like he was like a painter guy, but he built too, not for other people, just mainly for himself. But he, yeah. I helped him build this really cool, like lane splitter, just not street legal at all, but it looks a lot like the one that you have up on your Instagram, like with the sissy bar and just like the thin lane splitter style. Yeah. And I, that's, it's nice for me too because I'm still learning a lot about how to build a motorcycle. So it's that's nice too because that that's super interesting to learn it. Every little aspect that it's like a whole puzzle piece, and every single little aspect has a huge learning curve. So it's a fun project for sure. It'll yeah. just be a little bit until it gets on the road. Hey, that's okay. The, the best yeah. things in life take time. Yeah, but I, I grew up riding BMX, and I think that's why I got into it, because it's kind of BMX with a big motor on it. Yeah. <laughs> I usually try to leave each episode off with saying, what kind of advice would you give people either getting into the industry or people that have a business like yourself that want to take it to that next level? What kind of advice could you give people to just up their game? I would say that, you know, if you're going to want to venture out on your own and on a business, you better be passionate about it because there's a lot of downfalls owning a business. And there's obviously a lot of great things that happen. But to keep your motivation in line, first and foremost, you just have to be super passionate about what you're doing to overcome a lot of things. But yeah, if you've got that in whatever it is you're passionate about, then you just got to know when to take the risk. Timing's everything. Yeah. And then as far as on the welding side, like what were things that you've picked up along the way that really helped you in the welding world? 
like as far as just like techniques or I found this type of rod works really well in this type of application, like just any kind of insight you could give people out there that might give them a step up. I feel like that'll come with just experience of learning and making mistakes and being like, oh yeah, that, that rod doesn't work. Let me try this one. And a lot of hours of just, especially with TIG welding, like just a lot of hours of, hey, I'm going to start this project next week. I'm going to put in four hours and just run a bunch of samples and just dedicating time to get your skill level up. And then, yeah, I always tell people just try it. Like it sounds cliche, but stay humble. I mean, there's always somebody out there that you can learn from no matter who it is. I learned a lot of stuff from a lot of older guys that were in shops that I worked in. And I just always went into the shop just with no ego or anything like that. And just was just like, yeah, you show me, you know, like <laughs> I'm, I'm here to learn, you know, I want to learn from you, you know? So I picked up a lot of things, just soaking up knowledge from other guys in shops. That seems like a pretty standard thing that people say. It's like, what? Just listen to the people that know what they're doing and you'll yeah. learn a lot. Yeah. Just soak it all up and practice. And especially with welding, it's such a motor memory that practice is going to be your best friend for sure. Yep. Hood time. Don't get better than the hood time. Really enjoyed chatting with you and getting to hear your story and everything. Do you have anything, any like events coming up? I saw that you were showcased out in Texas, but do you do any events ever? We don't have anything in the near future. I'm always open to it, but we're still just getting settled here. I think for the first year, we're just kind of lay low and stack up the work and projects and then start doing like extracurricular. But we, I think we are going to put out another couple of shirts and do the food bank thing and in the summertime. People want to either buy your shirts or just see your work. Where could people find your work at? The best place is probably Instagram. It's super accessible these days. And then we have a website too. It hasn't been updated in a while. But you can buy our shirts and hats and everything on there. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, I've had a wonderful time chatting. And thank you, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, shoot me a message on the Weld app and let me know what kind of topics or people you would like me to have on in future episodes. Also, if you're trying to score some new equipment and swag, every month there's a mystery box of surprises given away to a lucky premium member, so make sure you don't miss out. I'm Bo Wigington, and until next week, we'll see you out there.